Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. All right. Well, do a little introduction here. Like this, we're on our we're on our third of our seventh week series. And if you haven't listened to the first two, then what I want you to do is go back and listen to those because it really will help you, especially in this particular series because it's, it's a continuation and it's really good to know what, how we're at in that series. Um, you know, Jesus tells us that he can get us to our best life. He makes it really clear. He says, I've come so you can have what? Life and life to the full, right? Abundant life, life that overflows, satisfying, you know, rich life. I've come for that. And the way you get there is how? Through me. That's where getting your best life goes. Now, if you look at this graphic, which I think is a great graphic, by the way, Lindsay, I like that graphic. In my mind, I look at that plane and I think it should have, you know, uh, like propeller props on it. And, and because your best life when flying was good, like when flying was enjoyable, right? And so as you think about that, is we have to realize the world is always marketing us our best life. And we see four to 10,000 exposures to ads every day. That's our statistic. And that is all telling you this is how, this is what the good life is, this is what the best life is, and this is how you get there. And so when I look at this, I think, well, this plane, it kind of represents this whole thing of hashtag our getting to our best life. And, uh, but as I think about that, you know, this is what, that lettering kind of reminds me of. It reminds me of this kind of flight, right? This is the flight I want to go on. But, you know, what is interesting is the idea is your best life, it's just like traveling and going on a plane. And, of course, you know, here it's been quite a while later, you know, and uh, the marketing still is the same. But the difference is, you know, my best life has not been on the plane. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Your best part of your best life on a plane is getting off the plane as quickly as possible, right? And so, but it, it, strangely, they still market this whole thing of airline travel as something that gives you your best life. Southwest Airlines, I love their marketing. They're just great. Ding! Time to move about the country. That's a good one. But there's another one. You guys know the other one? Wanna? Remember that song? Want to get away? Guys having a rotten life? Want to get away? And so, you know, as you look at that, I think to myself, that is such a good way that we think in the world. Like, you know, here's where you're, according to the world, here's your best life. Not in real life. That's what it's saying. That's not where your best life is. It's somewhere else that's going to get you there. And so today, when we think about Jesus, he's basically talking to us and he's basically saying, you know, I have the best life for you. But the way, what that means and how you get this is very different than what your natural flesh will take you towards. You know, um, I was thinking about Caleb's statement. I thought this, was, this really stuck to me. When he said, uh, when I wake up, I expect my day to go well. I just expect it to go well. I expect, and I don't realize it. And I thought, no, I don't think, I thought, as I thought about it, I kind of do too, right? Here's how I know. Because you wake up, and what do you say when something goes wrong? What? It was supposed to go this way. And the next day we go, what? You know, I, I don't know about you, but I have expressions where I'm not getting to my best life the way the world says it. I have, I have certain expressions I have. Some uh, of you, we can't say those in church, right? Uh, so, but, but a few of the expressions would be like this. Like, uh, 
you know, maybe, uh, really? You guys ever said that? You know, uh, I, I, I say this a lot. People don't hear me because I say it out loud. No one's in the car, no one's around me. I still say it. Give me a break. Give me a break. What is happening here? You know, another one is, you know, it's just a, a sigh that comes out of my mouth. You guys ever had that one? Oh, oh, oh. And sometimes I do this, right? You guys know that feeling? This place where, for you mothers, you go on just a nice trip to the school and they're just fighting the entire time. Or there's a spot in which that you're, uh, you know, you're just put that new outfit on and they throw up on it, you know, or poop it out. Really? It just, there's a spot that you wanted to do this thing and it's raining and you can't. You know, your drive-thru order is completely wrong. You don't like onions. And I missed this appointment and my boss, I thought was going to give me a raise, is yelled at me and my car won't start. And I lost my phone. I had the internet's down. And now all of a sudden now, bad has come into my best life and it's stolen my best life from me. And it seems to repeat the next day to different degrees. Not that there's not good things. You know, a couple weeks and I, well, a couple weeks ago, Debbie and I went to Denver, right? We wanted to get away. We actually flew southwest. We were sick for five of the seven days in Denver. It was not my best life, according to the world. And then, of course, there's much more difficult parts that we have loss and trouble where you lose your job, where you lose a relationship, where someone you love dies, where your health takes a bad turn, where your children aren't doing as you expected. And this big thing that you were hoping for doesn't happen. You know, Jesus wants us to have a rich and satisfying life. In fact, he actually wants it to be a life that keeps increasing in satisfaction and depth and richness. And when he does that, he, it's, there's this process. He says, this is how you find your best life. And he parallels this process to it's like a seed that falls in the ground and then dies, and then this new life comes out. This is the process that's taking place. And so, truly I tell you, unless a seed of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And it goes on to talk about how we want to hold on to our life versus trusting our life and finding our life in that. Now, as we think about this, you know, Caleb talks specifically about having a particular thing that God is maybe doing in you right now, a place of this process that kind of represents this parable of the seed. It's happening inside of you in this place that you're beginning to be aware that there's something going on, that you feel like God's moving you towards something that's better, that there's a new spirit and there's a new life that's coming. And then how do we take that in? And so as we go through this series... We want to be able to begin thinking about that. Maybe that hasn't happened for you, but if you, if, if you have that, it's great to have that one thing you can kind of think through as we go through each one. How does it apply? And how, how do I process this thing particularly that God's highlighting? But what I've also found, a couple of things. I found as I've been doing this, we've been studying on this teaching, I've been finding it everywhere. You guys know what I mean by that? 
there's this place of process of things that you have losses, little losses, and there's different layers that are going on in different ways. And what do you do with those losses and those things that are difficult? How do you yield and allow this place to die to something good to come out of that? What does that mean? You know, I, uh, I've also found that I fight this process. <laughs> I, I fight this process of transformation. Even much, I know it's true and I want it. There's something inside of me that just wants to avoid any kind of pain and any kind of loss. You guys relate to that? Right? There's a place that even though you know about it, you kind of yourself understanding it's going to this new spirit, but I resist it somehow. So, with all that in mind, that was just introduction. I want us to dive into the particular area we're going to talk about today. But well, we have this cool little chart here, and we're talking about these different things. The Passover, which we talked about, there's some trouble coming. And then we have Good Friday, which we're going to be talking about today. Easter, 40 days, the gap between Easter and the Ascension, and then Pentecost. We're getting to Pentecost, hang in there, but, you know, we're talking about trouble last week, and today we're going to be talking about loss, then we're going to be talking about new life, this process of period that is gapped in there, what God was doing in that process, the Ascension of letting go, and then the new spirit. And hopefully this chart helps us as we process this and gives us some, some things to look at. You know, we look and what we see is that, you know, Jesus makes it really clear about what we can expect. In this world, we can expect trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. James tells us to count all joy when we encounter various trials of all types, that it produces this amazing thing within us that completes us, and, and so we're not lacking things in our life, the fulfillment that Jesus is talking about. And so today, though, the sun is shining, spring has come, it's Mother's Day, and we're going to talk about loss. <laughs> I don't know how to time this one here, but the mothers I've talked to said, oh yeah, that, that applies to mothers, right? <laughs> and so, but I want you to really, to really think about this. Here's why. This is life on earth. Life on earth has tremendous blessings, tremendous moments of beauty but it also is mixed in with loss. Another way you could put it, it would be you have deaths in your life, things that die. And as we look at this, is this the theologian, Ron Rollheiser, uh, defines this two different ways, two different types of death in his book, Holy Long. He says terminal death is paschal death. Paschal is this meaning of either the Passover or Easter, usually it's referring to, but it's this place that the death brings about something of life, right? And this is what we're talking about in, in this series. He also goes on, to, and so here's what he says. He says, you know, there are two types, kinds of death. There's terminal death that ends the uh, life and possibilities, but there's paschal death, a death that is while ending one kind of life, opens the person undergoing it to receive a deeper and richer form of life. The image of the grain of wheat falling to the ground and dying so it can produce new life is an image of paschal death. There's also two kinds of life. There is resuscitate life which, and resurrected life. Resuscitate 
is when one's restored back to its former life and health, as in the case of someone who has been clinically dead and has been brought back to life. But resurrected life is not this. It is not restoration of one's old life, but it is the reception of a radically new life. Right? So today, we're going to be talking about loss and how do we respond to that. And so, what I've recognized is even though we have maybe a particular thing that we're going through right now that God's kind of highlighting, say, be thinking about that as we go through the series, what I realize is we, we start understanding this is really part of life, and so we start seeing it in lots of places within our life. You know, as I, the, that loss of the dream that you've had, that person who moves away, that relationship that you no longer have, the friend you lost, the, 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 a season of life that you've gone through and you lose the old season of life and you move into the new, your loss of your health. For you mothers, and, and dads too, but since it's Mother's Day, I'll say mothers, who, as your children grow, guess what? Years lost between, they're no longer an infant, it's gone. They're no longer a toddler. Thank Jesus, they're gone. No, just teasing. Uh, personal issues there. And so, uh, and then you, you go into elementary school, uh, and then you go to teenagers. Yeah. And then you go to leaving the house and the marriage. Those are all seasons. Every one of those things, as good as they are, they're part of life. And in every one of those, there is loss on one side of that. So as we think about loss, what are the emotions? Let's just throw this out and get some feedback here. What are some emotions you would name that come with when you're experiencing loss? Sadness. Grief. Anger. Come on, you get more. Frustration. Frustration. Right? Confusion. Confusion. Right? There's just so many things. You know, fear is another one that happens in loss. C.S. Lewis said, when I, when I was talking, he talks about loss and grief, he says, one thing no one ever told me was grief feels a lot like fear. You know what I mean? Sometimes denial, disorientation, disappointment, your heart is sick, you can't see further than the next moment right? That's some of the emotions that come with loss. And so when we look at this scripture and this place of, of, of loss, is we, we have to understand that uh, we're going to see this as we look at uh, Good Friday. And I found that sometimes it's hard to get our emotions around Good Friday because Good Friday is this place in which that we know the end of the story. We've already watched the movie. We know what the end is, right? We, we've experienced it. So we can look at that with always thinking about we, we're clear on that, right? Which is great. But we have to understand when the disciples and those who love Jesus were in the middle of watching Jesus die, devastating loss. You know, what we can best understand about when Jesus died, we can best understand that there were probably Mary, his mother, and some close friends, and John close up, and the other disciples were a little MIA, but they're watching from a distance with the other people who love Jesus. And they're in this spot of trying to process what's happening in front of them. And even though we've heard this story many times, put yourself in this position of being a disciple who's watching Jesus, this person they'd put all their hope in, being mocked and humiliated, beaten, and now is hanging on a cross. 
And put yourself in the place of what that felt like as they're trying to do it. Maybe they were sitting there thinking, maybe an angel's going to come. Maybe there's going to be something happening. But it just kept getting worse. So this, this scripture, I think, describes that well. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then when he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at the distance watching these things. So here's this scene of watching him breathe his last breath. Everybody else is it's a sign of just anger. This is wrong, it's anger. And they left, but they left, but they stayed. So what we best can see from that, likely they saw the Roman soldier stick the spear up his side and to his heart and let them, him bleed out. They saw them take him down from the cross. And they're watching all this, and it's starting to get dark. And then they go to the tomb. It says, as evening approached, there was a rich man from Arimathus named Joseph, and who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked Jesus for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in his own tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting on the opposite side of the tomb. So again, they're sitting, watching this whole process. You guys have been to funerals, right? That feeling where you're at the graveside and you think, this really is it. <laughs> that person's really dead. And they're watching as the, the stone rolls. They're just sitting there. And it's getting dark and Sabbath is coming. And so what these disciples and what were experienced was just tremendous loss. And the person they trusted is no longer there. And, and all these emotions are flying what do I do now? And here's what they do now. They had this loss. They acknowledge and name the loss. If there is loss, it needs to be acknowledged and named. So, let me simplify this teaching for you. This is the entire teaching. Acknowledge and name your loss. Right? That's it. Acknowledge and name your loss. Now, you know, there's... Because that is where the redemption starts. That's when the seed starts changing. That's when things start happening. But you have to acknowledge your death to find your life. You know, as, you, as we think about grief, it's just not a pleasant word when you hear most people talk about grief. 
yeah, I'm still grieving. You know, it's like, I wish I could get through it. It's kind of grief many times in our culture is something is a necessary evil if tragedy has happened. But we don't want to talk about it unless it's a pretty big tragedy. And then when we do have the tragedy, typically what people's goal is is to get to closure as quickly as possible and tell me the five steps and let me get through this and how long will this take? I don't know how many people say, how long will I be like this? I don't know. Because we don't want the grief and so we want to avoid those things. But here's the thing is, just think about this. If the world has fallen and there's injustice, in this world we will always have loss. And we have to decide what we do with those loss, whether big or small. Where does that go to? How does it become redeemed? You know, it's just part of life. And let me just say this very clearly. It's not optional. If you choose not to acknowledge your death, you will have an effect from that doesn't mean God's not gracious and loving. But for the process of transformation, we need to be people who embrace and celebrate and worship God for all his goodness and acknowledge that goodness and that blessing and equally acknowledge whatever is lost before God. You know, acknowledging and naming your loss you know, it applies to every part, right? Some of you are moms hoping <laughs> to be appreciated and honored today. Your children to be glowing angels that say, Mother, I love you. Here's your dinner. Just take a nap. I won't bother you. Many of you will experience loss today, <laughs> right? You know, this place that, uh, you know, some of you, you know, cel- you know, celebrating Mother's Day is hard because you've longed to be a mother and you're not. We've been through that as in our life, right? It's, it's a painful time. Maybe Mother's Day causes you to recognize loss. Like, you know, I think about my mother and I have lots of things that never took place that I always hoped would take place. You know, or this desire of your life you really believe was what God wanted and it didn't happen. Or this elementary child who used to love to snuggle and hug and you couldn't get them to stop talking. You prayed for them to stop talking and now they've stopped talking because they're teenagers and they don't want you to touch them. In fact, they don't want to talk. They don't actually want to listen. That is a normal part of life, but you understand there is a loss there. So how do you do this? How do you, what do I mean when I say, name your death, name your loss? What does that look like? Let me just give you some kind of thoughts on that. Best way to say is, get honest. You know, bring it into the light with God. And say it out loud to God and say it out loud to others. You know, uh, Debbie and I had a series of times early in our marriage where we were trying to have children, we were unsuccessful, and then we were trying to adopt, which we seemed to be quite unsuccessful at both. 
And we had lots of really horrendous things happen in these eight years. And I remember that, um, you know, my goal was to be the strong husband <laughs> and to keep Debbie from crashing, you know? And uh, because I theologically, guys are very logical, by the way. This is always the best thing, guys. Logic is, has a very small <laughs> effect on many things. Two people crashing would be worse than one, people, one person crashing. But the problem was, is I just was very determined to be the stable rock in that situation, and life kept getting worse for me. And I wasn't doing well, and it was building, but thank goodness we finally had this adoption that was signed and ready to come. And I could think, okay, I've, I've now made it. I don't have to ever address any loss. We can just happily ever after is coming, and then we got a call that said it fell through. And at that point, I did not have this terminology. At that point, I called it an emotional breakdown, but really what I was doing was I was for the first time saying and naming my death. And they weren't just that one girl that was supposed to be coming. It was eight years of multiple losses came out at one point. <laughs> it was not a pretty scene, but I can say this with all my heart. It was one of the more difficult moments of my life, and it is one of the best moments of my life internally. I experienced so much pain, but I experienced so much God in that moment when I finally said, I can't do this anymore. And I got honest with God about the pain of loss. Now, you know, we, we get to a spot, you know, that we just want to jump from Good Friday to Pentecost. Don't you guys, don't you wish it was that way? Like, Good Friday, Pentecost. It's, it's not that way. Trouble, Good Friday, Pentecost. No, it's not. There's a process in this place of loss. It's very difficult. And God has a reason for it. God knows who you are. He knows how she made you. And he knows you're in a world that has injustice. And you have to be, have a place for him to help you through places that are not the way they should be. And he comes into those places. And the cool thing about it is, is how you name it. God can show you what works for you, what that looks like. He's very good about helping us in this process. My wife, Debbie, when she was 13 or 14, she had a, her brother who was a couple years older. All of a sudden got sick, really finally sick one night. An ambulance came, they took him away, and Debbie never saw him again. Seven days later, he died suddenly, and he had uh, viral encephalitis, he had blisters on the brain, and he died. And it was devastating. 33 years later, when California... And everything's going pretty well, but there's some really hard things happening at a deep level within Debbie. So Debbie goes to this counselor, Christian counselor. She goes, you've never named the loss of Randy. Yeah. I went to a bunch of movies. 
I don't think I ever cried that much. I'm not sure. So, guess what? He prayed about it. He put pictures back up on the wall. Never had pictures for Anthony. And every March 5th, she'd buy flowers for years so she could remember Randy. I'm telling you, God came into that. It was huge. I know my wife. It was huge. And God creatively showed her how to do that. The question becomes, though, is, is have you noticed how hard it is to acknowledge loss? Maybe some of you aren't, but for me, it's hard to name it. Why is that? Why is it so hard? I think one reason is, is we've been trained not to, right? Subtly or directly, you know, naming loss is often by people seen as whining. It's kind of a weakness. You need to be strong for others. The past is the past. That's just life. Just be positive. What difference will it make now? You guys ever heard those? You think, oh, I said those. <laughs> don't, get, don't get on hard on yourself, right? Those are normal ways that we resist it because it's hard. We downplay, we invalidate loss, especially if it's not big enough to make the mark. Like, okay, that's just, why am I, what, that's not big. We're not going to have to worry about that. It's a small loss, right? That's how we think sometimes. And, you know, the thing about it is, sometimes we don't because have you ever this feeling like, I don't know where this is going to go and I'm afraid I'm going to be taken down the drain. <laughs> if I open up loss in this area or I'm not sure what's going to happen because we understand the vulnerability of it. Sometimes we get to a spot where uh, we just feel, well, it's too late, it's too small. Have you heard this spot? I, I hear this a lot with people. It shouldn't affect me this way. I don't know why it's affecting me this way. It shouldn't be that big a deal. It is a big deal. That's why it's affecting you that way. <laughs> and you have shame because it's affecting you this way. No, you just have loss. And God is wanting you to name it. I think the main thing is that you really simplified it. It's just super vulnerable. Uh, it requires humility. Not name your losses. My pride makes that really easy. <laughs> it's easy. It, it takes courage and takes humility. A phrase I heard, this is a good one. Often we are trying to protect ourselves from what has already happened. Chew on that one for a while. You know, and, and really a lot of it is we just have a wrong understanding of faith. Somehow faith, we believe, is this place of not being honest and pretending we're okay when we're not and being strong in our own strength. I think you know that's not faith. Faith is instead is this place of naming our loss, being honest and real, and allowing Jesus into our loss. And he loves to do that. As parents, we know, as messed up as we are, how beautiful it is when your child tells you what's really going on and lets you into it. So, but I'd say it is so hard sometimes 
But the reason we do it is because it's so good. Why it's so good to acknowledge loss is here's, here's just... It opens the door to allow God to come in it with you. <laughs> and he loves to come in it with you. A well-known person named Kitty Kramer has been quoted many times by the truth is never your enemy. Truth is where God works. Honesty and humility. Humility is just being who you truly are. You know, it's, that's what it means. Just being honest with where you're truly at and who you truly are. And when you do that, when I say, I mean it, God, Jesus comes in. And he just starts this process. And when he comes in, the things you'll start experiencing is comfort. Think of these verses. Bless those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Then you feel the empathy of God. You feel his mercy. You feel his grace, his favor. You feel him helping you know what to do next. For we do not, in Hebrews 4, it says, we do not have a high priest who is able to empathize in our weakness, for we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Wow. And here's the cool thing. When you open the door and he comes in, here's what you have. You have somebody who comes in and connects to you in your pain. This is what the Bible calls participating in suffering. Our fellowship in suffering. It's the verse we read last week. Paul's saying, I want to know Christ. So how is he going to really know Christ? Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow obtaining the resurrection from the dead. My grace is sufficient, says in Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in you holding it together. No, in your weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. So, it is so good to let God in. And it can be many different things. And so the worship team come up. I just want to close with just a pretty obvious invitation. Name your loss. Name your death. Because this is a Pascal death. It's not a death that ends in termination. It's a death that if you own it, takes you to life. And so, invite the Holy Spirit to show you any loss or losses in your life that need to be acknowledged. Just give him time. And simply name the loss to God and welcome Jesus into the pain of loss and share your loss with a trusted brother or sister in Christ and let them pray for you. Today would be a good time to do that. <laughs> At the prayer ministry time, just say, okay, this doesn't have to be long, just come up, here's my loss. I just want you to pray for me that I can continue. I want to... I want to name it, right? And God will be very good in showing you how does that look.